Thank you, Dave. Good morning. Um, If you've got your Bibles, could you turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 24, and starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but couldn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. So this is the story of the road to Emmaus, and it's the story that we named ourselves after as a church. And we're in the middle of a series. We've just begun the series two weeks ago looking at the Emmaus way. What are our core values? What are we all about? What are the things that define us? And um, one, of the, one of the really fun things about this story of the road to Emmaus is that it's actually, hidden right within it, it's actually a kind of a tale of hospitality. So we've got these two travelers here walking along the road and they're chatting and they're actually chatting about some really deep stuff. They're, they've lost hope, they're hurting. And, and this stranger comes up to them and says, what are you guys chatting about? And they invite him into their conversation. And then they, they get further along the road and they invite him into their home. And then finally, at the end of the story, they invite him into their hearts. 
It's a fun tale of hospitality and the encounter that can happen in the context of that invitation. And so this morning, we're going to look at this value. We're going to look at what is the Emmaus way to welcome. And hospitality in our culture, it kind of, it really just means entertaining, doesn't it? You know, we kind of think of like the merry berries of our day and, and beautiful cakes and lovely homes and kind of catalogue-like houses and dinner parties. It really, it really means entertaining, But the biblical definition is actually quite different. The original Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia, which literally means the love of strangers. So it's like the opposite of xenophobia, you know, the fear of strangers. Philoxenia, making the stranger welcome. And I love that when Pete and the team sat down to try and decide what are the things that we are all about at Emmaus, hospitality got onto that list. It's one of our core values. And I think that it kind of makes sense that hospitality should be a value of the church as a whole because we want people to feel welcome here and we want them to keep coming back, right? We want to kind of greet them at the door with a nice coffee and a nice pastry and make them feel welcome. And we have teams to do that. It kind of makes sense that hospitality is a value of, of us. But the thing that's actually really challenged me as I've looked deeper into hospitality is that it's not just a value for us as a church. It's actually a spiritual discipline, a biblical imperative for every single believer. First Peter 4, chapter 9, Paul commands them, offer hospitality without grumbling. Hebrews chapter 13 starts with, do not forget hospitality. And Paul makes hospitality a core requirement for leadership in the church. 1 Timothy 3.1, which means that you couldn't do anything, you couldn't get anywhere in church structures and leadership. It didn't matter how charismatic you were, it didn't matter what a great preacher you were, if you weren't willing to be hospitable. If this was not something that defined the way in which you lived your life, it is actually a biblical imperative. It's core to our spiritual walk. Do you see the difference there? You see, I think sometimes we kind of siphon hospitality off in our minds. We outsource hospitality to those in our church who are good at it. But the thing with hospitality in the Bible is that it's not a church program or strategy that we can delegate. Hospitality in the biblical sense doesn't mean simply having a team of people with the right personalities or with a certain salary band or coming from certain postcodes. Hospitality is a spiritual discipline. It's a core part of what it means to follow Jesus. Which means that my dining room table is as vital to my spiritual growth and practice as my weekly trip to church or my prayer life or even my Bible reading. And if hospitality is actually a spiritual discipline, then what that means is there's something of God to be found in it. 
Because that's what all spiritual disciplines are about. They're about disciplining ourselves to chase after Jesus, to find something of him. And so if hospitality is a discipline, then he is to be found in it. And so just like these two travelers walking along the road, they invite a stranger in for dinner and he turns out to be Jesus. They get this divine encounter birthed out of their hospitality. So hospitality is not this extra add-on of the Christian faith. It's not like, oh, Christians, sometimes they're quite nice to people. It's not like an add-on. It's actually really core to who we are. Do you know the first, the very, very first Christians were marked out by this in their society? It was the thing that they were known for. It was actually the thing that they were, that they were mocked for, that they were made fun of for. <coughs> Their possessions were shared and they were committed to giving away to the poor. And there's this one historical writer called Lucian. And um, he's one of the earliest writers that we have that records stuff about the early Christians. So his writings are really interesting for us. But Lucian himself was actually a real critic of the Christian faith. And he was what we call a satirist. Okay, meaning that he was basically like an old, old, old school version of like a really sarcastic comedian. So he would write these satires, and he writes this one about Christians, and it's fascinating. He, he writes this satire about a guy, part of the Christian community, who gets thrown into prison for his faith. And in his story, all the Christians move into the prison with him. Because Christians live like, they, they did stuff like this. They literally got into prison cells with people because they were so dedicated and committed to the act of hospitality. And Lucian writes this in AD 130. He says, the Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains their contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment they are converted. And so they deny the gods of Greece, worship the crucified sage, and live after his laws." All this they take quite on faith, with the results that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. That was the Christians living in AD 130. And then a couple of hundred years later, right, AD 362, we get this report from the emperor at the time, a guy called Julian and basically what was going on was that in that day there were a lot of babies being born to families who couldn't support them, right? They didn't have the resources, they couldn't look after some of these children that were being born. So what they would do is they would actually, if a child was born and they couldn't take care of it, they would just leave it out on the street, exposed to the elements um, to die, so what the early Christians at that time were doing was they were going around and they were collecting up all of these babies, bringing them into their homes, raising them as their own from the common pot of money that the church had. And so we get this guy, this emperor Julian, and he writes a letter to the high priest at the time complaining about the Christians. And he says this, the impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that the people lack aid from us. Wouldn't you love it if David Cameron was to write a letter to Justin Welby 
complaining that the hospitality of a bunch of Christians in Guildford was exposing the lack in our welfare system. That was what Christianity looked like. That was how they lived their lives. They were dedicated and devoted to hospitality and generosity. And I think it's profoundly challenging for us in our culture where we feel like we've kind of done hospitality when we've handed someone a croissant on their way in the door. So what does the Bible have to tell us about hospitality? Well, we read those couple, um, couple of commands at the beginning of uh, entertaining strangers, practice hospitality, you can't lead unless you do it. There's so many passages about hospitality, but the amazing thing is that the whole arc of Scripture is actually a compelling narrative of hospitality. Okay, so it's a narrative that starts in a garden, Adam and Eve were given a home, fruit to enjoy, animals to name, and fellowship with God. It starts with hospitality. And then, as you know, Adam and Eve, they, they disobey God. They step outside of his laws, and so they have to go into exile. They get thrown out of the garden. They become strangers, homeless, wanderers. And so the Bible is the narrative that we were strangers because of our sin. We were refugees. We were outsiders until we were welcomed. We were given the ultimate hospitality by Jesus who gives us his life and opens the door to the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what's fascinating? In the, um, in the culture of the Bible, the culture at that time... <coughs> Hospitality was actually a really, really high value because without hospitality, travel was impossible. You know, when we travel, we tend to like book into, you know, the travel lodge or for really posh, the premier inn. And, uh, and we book in and we go and we travel. But in those days, because travel was so dangerous and so difficult, not very many people did it. And so there weren't a lot of these places to stay. And as well as that, people weren't well networked. You know, they couldn't just like go on Facebook and be like, who's that guy I met in Galilee that one time? Maybe I could stay with him. They didn't have these networks. And so that meant that for travel to exist, oftentimes people had to invite total strangers into their homes. And so the social code at the time was that a, tra a traveler would arrive at the city and he would wait at the city gates or at the well, the local well, until someone came out and welcomed him into their home. And the host would then wash their feet and prepare a feast for them and give them rest. Do you know, it's fascinating. There's a passage in Hebrews 13, the one that starts with, do not forget hospitality. And in verse 12, it says, but Jesus was taken outside of the city gates, beaten and killed. Jesus was taken from inside the city, the place of hospitality and welcome, and sent outside of the city walls to be killed. He accepts the very opposite of hospitality upon himself because that is what we deserved. And he receives that rejection in order that we might receive the welcome of heaven, in order that we might have our feet washed by him, have a feast prepared for us, and enjoy rest and home. 
the compelling hospitality narrative that we are all a part of as Christians is that we were outsiders, but Christ paid to bring us home. And so Hebrews goes on to say, so follow him outside of the city walls. Go find the outsider. Look for who is unwelcome, unsafe, who doesn't have enough, and bring them in. The theologian Miroslav Volf said, God's reception of hostile humanity into divine communion is a model for how human beings should relate to one another. Do you see our whole basis, our whole motivation for hospitality as Christians is that we were strangers and we were given a home. So every dinner party we throw, every simple beans on toast because we've got nothing else in the cupboard, every takeaway curry that we buy for someone because we're actually not great at cooking but we want to have them around anyways, every time we welcome someone in, take time for someone, it is the overflow of the kingdom narrative of welcome that we have received that flows into their life. Because of everything that I've received from Christ, I now give it to you. And so we get to invite those around us into the narrative of welcome. And with our hospitality, we change their story. John Piper has a great way of describing this process of receiving hospitality from Jesus and then offering it. And he, he describes it as conduits versus cul-de-sacs. You know, cul-de-sacs are those roads that they don't lead anywhere. You just drive down them and then you have to stop or turn around. And Piper says, when we practice hospitality, we experience the refreshing joy of becoming the conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. And so we should be asking ourselves things like, how can I draw people into a deeper experience of the hospitality of God by the use of my money, my time, my home? And hospitality is also really important in our mission strategy. Have you ever noticed how many of Jesus' key mission moments, his key ministry moments as well, happen over a meal? He's just always eating dinners with people. Either when he's receiving hospitality at someone else's home or he's giving it, feeding 5,000 people. And Jesus' big mission moments are often like, can I please have a drink at the well? Asking for hospitality and then turning that hospitality into a divine moment of encounter. Zacchaeus, can I come to your house? Make me some dinner. <laughs> And that hospitality turns into divine encounter. And so our mission is not like ethereal or spiritual. It's not programs. It's like it happens in the, you know, the thick textures of people and place. Bread and wine. Scott McKnight says, Jesus turned routine meals into kingdom realities as a new society was being formed around evening dinner tables. So how could we as a church see our means of evangelism become more hospitable? I think that it often starts with being more available and being more interruptible. Have you ever noticed how bizarrely interruptible Jesus was? He had like the clearest and most important mission in the whole, he's about to save humanity He's about to save the whole world, and yet he's walking down the street and someone comes up to him, Jesus, will you come to my house? 
my daughter's sick. I want you to pray for her. Jesus, will you come and eat with us? Jesus, come to this party, come to this wedding. And he's like, yeah, where do you live? He's always mid-strategy, and yet someone invites him in, and he says yes. So was Jesus distractible and unfocused? Or do we need to redefine our idea of what being focused really means? I think that the kind of interruptible way in which Jesus lived his life kind of turns that practice of hospitality upside down. Because we've got Jesus, he owns no home. He has no spare room to offer. And so he kind of shows us that hospitality at its core is actually about offering something of ourselves. Saying yes to people, going to their homes, inviting them to ours. So where might your sense of purpose or strategy overtaken your awareness of people? Where are you too important to be interruptible? You know, when I look at Jesus' life and this call to radical hospitality, I am profoundly challenged by this. Because when my life is busy and things come along, I get concerned about my capacity when I should be concerned about my compassion. I can find that my boundaries are actually higher than Jesus's. And I'm so challenged by that because I've realized that when interruptions come along, my first reflex is to check, well, do I have the time? Do I have the money? Do I have the energy? But Jesus' first reflex is compassion. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any boundaries and we get blown about by the wind and we never get anything done, but it means that our reflexes are being shaped by the prompting of the Holy Spirit rather than our diaries and our schedules. Because what if your kitchen table was as important as these Sunday services to the salvation plan of Guilford? One of the craziest verses about hospitality in the Bible, in my opinion, is back in Hebrews 13, (coughs) when the writer says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's such a wild concept, just thrown in there so casually. Just remember to always be welcoming, because it might be an angel. (laughs) Like, what? It's really a wild idea, but that happens. In the Old Testament, we get this crazy story of Abraham, and three guys come along, and he's like, yeah, come in, have some dinner. And those three guys turn out to be two angels and Jesus himself. <laughs> like, wild. Same thing happens on the road to Emmaus. These guys welcome Jesus in, and of course, he turns out to be the risen Christ himself. And Jesus, he talks in Matthew 25 about at the end of time, You know, he's going to go around thanking people for uh, giving him clothes, giving him food, visiting him in prison. And people are like, well, when did we ever do that? And he's like, every time you clothed someone, you fed someone, you visited them in prison, I was there. You did that for me. It's fascinating. Pete touched on this a couple of weeks ago. The Bible Um, The Bible says that Jesus starts to walk on in this story of the road to Emmaus. He starts to walk on, but the two guys urge him to stay. And because of that offer of hospitality, they get this this revelation that he's really Jesus. And Pete kind of dropped this bomb a couple of weeks ago. What, 
would have happened. I wonder who didn't make it into the Bible because they didn't ask him for dinner. Opening the door to hospitality opens the door to encounter with the divine, to entertain angels and even Christ himself unawares. And you know, that actually brings about a sacramental quality to Um, to hospitality. So this guy does a commentary in Hebrews and he talks about this whole angels thing. And he says, for Christians, the expectation is that God will play a significant role in the ordinary exchange between guests and hosts. And that expectation lends to hospitality a sacramental quality. That is the spiritual dimensions to hospitality. Are we getting the idea that for Jesus, hospitality is so much more than a coffee rota or a dinner party? Hospitality is sacramental because what is a sacrament? So we've got baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we're about to do. And what is in a sacrament? Well, it's common everyday stuff, bread and wine, common everyday things that you can get everywhere. They're not special. You can get them anywhere. And yet, when dedicated to God, when used by God, they become a vehicle for his power and his grace coming into our lives. And in the same way, that's what hospitality is. That's the promise. And what that means is that if you take someone out for a coffee and just listen to their problems, you know, maybe you meet someone on a park bench, maybe you meet someone in your building who's an outsider and you welcome them in. It's not social work. You're not a trained counsellor. It's just everyday chats. It's just a cup of coffee. And yet, God, according to the text, can work powerfully in that. And, you know, we get all worked up about hospitality, don't we, and wanting everything to be perfect and beautiful silverware. And I don't want someone coming around to my house if it's a mess. And the thing is, it's kind of the opposite of what's happening here because Jesus-style hospitality is not about us making something perfect and offering it to someone out of our own strength. Jesus-style hospitality is about offering what we have, whatever that might be, the every day, the bread, the wine, and out of his efforts, what he brings to the table, something divine and profoundly spiritual can happen. And what that means is that we're then free to be hospitable all the time at any moment, even if your house is a mess, even if all you can offer someone is like a peanut butter sandwich. Jesus can take that and turn it into something divine. The Last Supper involved unashamedly simple everyday elements. It was not caviar. It was served unceremoniously not on silver platters, it was bread and wine. Everyday elements that open the door to encounter. And so who in your life right now might need some reinforcements in the battle against loneliness? Who needs to be asked out somewhere or invited in? What two or three people from this congregation could you invite round to your house for a whiskey? And because of that offer of hospitality, they could get together and brainstorm their creativity and some amazing new ministry could be birthed. Have you noticed someone on the outside? Offer them an invitation in. And even if all you've got to offer is beans on toast, it could change someone's life. You'll so rarely know the full impact of your hospitality on others. 
But there'll be people who will remember. There'll be people who remember that. Maybe they're going through a really tough time and you invite them around for a meal. Maybe even people in this room can remember a time like that when someone welcomed them in. And now they're going on to do all kinds of amazing things. In other words, your hospitality births so many other moments of hospitality. You were entertaining angels unawares. It was a divine moment. There's a sacramental quality. And so hospitality is one of the things that is so central to us at Emmaus. It's so core to who we are as a church. You know, when I first arrived here and found a house, um, one member of Emmaus drove the removal van with all my stuff in it. Because I have no spatial awareness, and I drive a micro, and I would have crashed that van. But Georgina loves a good van. She loves going behind the wheel. So she drove that van all day long and helped me move my stuff in. That night, another member of this congregation cooked us sausages and refueled us after a day of moving. And I know that not everyone coming here will have that same experience, but that is our vision for Emmaus. Not that Georgina drives every single one of you into your new house because there's just one of her. But that Emmaus Road Church is a place of welcome, a place of generosity where people can feel safe. So how can we lean into hospitality? I think firstly, very simply, we just ask other people into our space. Ask your neighbours. Ask them round for a cup of tea. You know, a lot won't come. They'll think it's super weird. They'll be so suspicious. I remember when, when we first moved into Sydenham Road, Sophie and I, um, we made an apple crumble for our next door neighbour. And um, we brought it round to our house and she opened the door and saw us standing there with the crumble in our hands. And she assumed that our oven had broken and we wanted to borrow hers to cook our crumble. And we were like, no, no, we, we made this for you just to say hello as a gift. And she was like... Who are these weird girls? This is so weird. And I think she ditched it. I don't think she ate it because I think she was like, it's probably poison. Like, this is too bizarre. So a lot won't come in. But you know what? A lot will. There's a lot of lonely people in Guildford. So we invite people into our space. And you know, it might feel kind of intrusive doing that. But, but Jesus was just so straightforward on the road to Emmaus, just walking along. Guys, what are you talking about? Ah, tell me more about that. Two questions, and he's in relationship with these strangers. And then after you've done that, maybe you want to invite them into your spiritual home. Bring them on Alpha. Bring them to Collective, and then maybe take them out for dinner later. Pay for their dinner. Ask them how they found it. What possible reasons do you have right now that are obstacles to your hospitality? Maybe you need to free up your diary dare I say it, from some of your church commitments to just make time to host people. How might you lean in to hospitality this week? And you know, I think it's true that people aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a church where they can make friends. And that is our vision for Emmaus, is that people will make friends here, that they'll find lifelong community who will stand by them, help raise their kids, laugh with them, cry with them, that you'll make friends, because we want this to be a place where no one leaves without someone chatting to them. Or, you know, if a student arrives with their parents and the parents are, like, super nervous to be leaving their, their little student for the first time, and, and someone from Emmaus comes to them and says, you know what, every time you want to come visit, come visit your child, stay with us. 
Don't let that be an obstacle. Just come anytime. We've got an open door. There's freshers here that have just arrived. You don't, know, you don't know how amazing it is to be in a nice, proper family home when you're a fresher, right? You're like there in halls, and it's such a refreshment to go out and receive hospitality. And that is the Emmaus way to welcome. We have a vision to be a community that lingers, and not in a really creepy way where we linger where people don't want us, but we linger. We're not, we're not always rushing off to the next thing. We're available, we're interruptible, like Jesus was, and we'll wait and we'll talk with people. We have a vision to be a ludicrously kind community. You know, some, a family from this church once um, bought like a couple of weeks worth of groceries for my um, household, me and my flatmates, and it was super creepy. They were like, make sure you're in your house at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon because someone is arriving. And we were like, oh no. You know, we thought we were going to have to like pray for them or something, which, we, which would be fun. We like, we like doing that. It was super creepy. We're all sitting there like, who's going to arrive? And then the waitress man arrives at our door with all this amazing food. It's like whimsical, fun hospitality. Be wild with it. Be generous. And that's one of the reasons why I love being a part of this church. I phone my family. I phone my friends. And they're like, what? I tell them the stories. They're like, what is this church? And how can I be a part of it? That is our vision, to be wildly hospitable. And whether it's surprising some hungry people with all these groceries or whether it's Rob Stokes, you know, driving to the airport at least twice a day to pick someone up. Be wild, be whimsical, be generous, be generous, and be hospitable. That's who we are. And as we grow and we get bigger, what that looks like will look different, but I hope that it only ever looks more hospitable, more wild, and more whimsical. Because that kind of hospitality gives people joy, it gives people hope, and it can change their lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that when we were strangers, you welcomed us in. Thank you that you made the way for us to be at home with you. And I pray that out of the great overflow of all that you've given us, that you would send us out to be the wildest, most hospitable, most generous community. In Jesus' name, amen.